His name is Alexis Borsier. Hi. Since he was a child, he's been raised to consider pop culture as a fine art to be studied, dissected, analyzed, and debated. My name is Ben Spiro. I think I've watched every episode of the sitcom Wings. Together, we're proud to present... Welcome to Hyperstrong Miracle Treasure, the show where two friends take a deep dive into the pop culture grab bag and hurl random implements of entertainment at one another with reckless abandon. Uh, Borsier, how you holding up? Oh, you know, I'm I'm here making this podcast with you. That's mm -hmm. you, that's you what's going on there. You continue to exist, so that's a plus. Yeah, I mean, the, and the world outside continues to exist, so it's it's both things. Bare bare minimum. Okay, then let's. Let's derail any topic of reality and go go straight into the the thing that I was wanting to ask you, which is, what what have you been watching, listening to, looking at to stay sane? What's been keeping you on an even keel somehow? I mean, that implies I am on one, and I'm sure about that. You know this. I've been watching a lot of Star Trek, uh, mm -hmm. going back over old stuff, stuff I haven't seen before. I think right. Uh, it looks like I haven't. It looks like I haven't watched any of Star Trek Voyager, or maybe I've seen like 10 episodes or something. So, <laughs> you know, the beauty of Netflix is that, like, it's there. Uh, how, about, how about you? Okay, so it's kind of a weird cocktail, uh, but it's one part British Bake Off, uh, just old episodes that I've watched, and one part a rewatch of the TV show Hannibal. And I... I don't know what the combination of that is doing to me, but it's leveling me out. Like, I, I feel like this is like an upper end a downer to try to, like, get through your work day. Are you hungry? <laughs> Sometimes. I mean, I'm a human being. <laughs> it's not. <laughs> the, this is definitely the, the, the gamut of which you can experience food. Right. From I'm just yeah, I'm just saying like that's 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 the only connection I can make there. Mm -mm. Food and maybe I don't know accents. Really <laughs> the, nice there are woodwork. accents, uh, and then the occasional murder. I think they have that in common as well. There are no murders on the Great British Bake Off. I, you know the Great British Bake Off. Mm -hmm. I, I, I look. I put in my hour. Like <laughs> I get it. <laughs> I understand why people are drawn in. It's just not for me. Yeah, and that's fine. I understand that. It's just I find they're, it they're too cooperative. They're frankly right. too cooperative. It's and, <laughs> and, and that's what I need right now is is their calming interactions, the fact that they are very supportive of one another and and if they're competing, they're competing against an unfair universe and not their neighbor. Um I just feel like they haven't seen television before then. I <laughs> just I, I pray they'll never find it. I pray that they'll they'll live in that beautiful that beautiful pocket universe where it's not about I don't know doing something as dramatically as humanly possible. So, Borsier, for today's battle, uh, today's battle, uh, actors in TV that we love, and the actor in particular is Ricardo Montalban, and the TV we love for you is Star Trek. For myself is is Columbo. So. Can you tell me about the episode of the original series that you, you have picked that features Ricardo Montalban, uh, Space Seed? Can you give me some, some background info? What did you just make me watch? 
<laughs> well, Space Seed is an episode of Star Trek, the original series um, from 1967. Uh, and it is the introduction of Khan from Wrath of Khan, which is you know, super legendary. That's all iconic. He is, he is one of the great characters of uh of modern genre fiction, and this is where he's born. And you are, you are like, like we can't deny it. You are Trojan horsing Wrath of Khan into my life, and this is the this right, is exactly the like this is this is how I will get there. Um, because I think I, a good chunk of the fun of Wrath of Khan is already being familiar with this character. So if, if, if I'm going to make you love my favorite submarine movie in space. You're going to have to watch this TV show from 1967. All right. So we'll we'll get into the specifics in a second. But, but just in general, who is this Khan? Where does he come from? Why does he get involved with that cast of characters on the Starship Enterprise? Okay. Khan, played by Ricardo Montalban, uh, is a genetically modified Superman from the end of the 20th century that – the crew of the Enterprise finds Frozen in space, and then they revive him with about 50 or 60 other, they, they call them augments, these genetically modified super people uh, that are a, a product of the eugenics wars uh, of the late 20th century. Uh, he, okay, all right. Now, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to stop you right now because it, it's not... The late the 20th century, it is very, very specifically the 1990s. And it's yeah, it the is thing 1996. That I, I, <laughs> I, laughed, I laughed at it every single time they said it, and I, I'm never going to get over the fact that the eugenics wars happened in, in 1996. Yeah, it's pretty fantastic. And later on, canonically, different Star Trek writers would try to either say... It happened, and we just didn't know about it, which is really dumb. <laughs> <laughs> or that it just happened later. I, I would like to think that this this is maybe the the root cause of why we listened to Gregorian chants that one summer, but but I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> if you could tell me that it had to do with space Napoleons, uh, I, I would buy that as much as any other explanation. <laughs> that that was yeah that was uh, some kind of advance work so that it would be available for them after they took power. 1996, we made some Supermen, and th this part I actually am not entirely clear about. And I wonder you could do they run away into space or are they sent into space? Like I don't, I, okay. I didn't follow. Okay, so okay. I didn't remember as well. And remember, I've probably seen this this episode a dozen times or something <laughs> like that. Yeah. Um, and so I paid particular attention this time. They are pretty careful to neither confirm nor deny the reason that they would send this ship into space. Because uh, it, it doesn't entirely make sense to me in either direction. Like, like if they – I don't understand – why they ran away and if why they ran away they'd run away together and i don't understand if how they were losing i guess i don't know were they losing the eugenics war i it, it doesn't seem clear they don't seem to be well no no like, there is that there is that one line yeah you know, spock does hmm. mention and he they also hang okay. a lantern on it spock does mention that eventually 
the citizens of the world banded together and ousted each of these guys. Okay. And okay, so, the, so, so, so they may have we, fled in order to, you know, avoid prosecution or war right, crimes. They didn't want to go sure. yeah, to some kind of Nuremberg for supermen. All right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. All right. Um, all right. So they end up on the Enterprise. And, of course, uh, Khan decides to take over everything. Yeah. Um, that's weirder this time, too. I don't it, seem to understand how Khan, the super intelligent Superman, got to there as a plan. The, 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 the vibe the vibe I picked up is that he couldn't help it uh, because and, and I think this is tied into one of the things that I have written down in my notes as the uncontrollable sexuality of Ricardo Montalban uh, <laughs> in, tied up into that is he cannot help but conquer. And he sees this starship and the and the enormous power of this starship, and he has to try to take it over, even though if he's, like, polite for a couple days, they will drop him off to a place probably where starships are plentiful, and he can... Yeah, that's, take- I mean, I, I, I guess maybe they're trying to say he's uncontrollable or he didn't mm. understand, but... I don't think any time I've watched this episode before, I realized just how little he had to do to get away with it. Like, mm-hmm. oh, hey, just hang out. Take naps. Re- read up on this starship. In three days, you'll just be able to leave. The only thing I can think is that he would think that eventually they'd find out that he is, you know, an evil warlord and mm-hmm. try to hold him accountable. Right, um, some kind of some future trial for him. Yeah, okay. I'd buy that if they mentioned it, but they... But yeah, it would be really, and it would have just required a pretty simple, uh, a pretty simple fix, you know? Like, hey, <laughs> I'm worried that they'll, uh, they'll, they'll want to bring me into some sort of, uh, some sort of Mickey Mouse trial in the, in, <laughs> in, 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 in your, in your Federation courts. You know, whatever. Like... What is this Mickey Mouse? Uh, yeah. <laughs> okay. Okay, so so before we get into like specifics of uh, of the plot and what happens, th- there were two things I wanted to mention. One was the eugenics hellscape of the 1990s, and yeah. the second thing that I had a hard time getting over—that's not serious, but it's just uh, just a thing that I could not ignore—was William Shatner's lime green officer's uniform. I I need to take a second for that specific color of lime green as being a symbol of authority. Okay. Even <sighs> better. Those uniforms, this is super Star Trek nerd stuff, but... Sure, I, I, like, designed... I, I need some kind of answer. No, no. They were designed to be green. Mm-hmm. However, under the lighting conditions for color film, it turned them that classic yellow that we all know as Kirk's uniform. Right. Uh-huh. Like, lighting that green turned it that goldenrod yellow. Then subsequently, they actually sort of pushed everything to just be goldenrod yellow, because they were like, well, that's what it looks like on screen. Mm-hmm. But whenever Kirk in the first season is in any uniform other than that one that just photographs yellow, it photographs green. And that's just what we're stuck with. But And, and I can but almost understand this. But it is the worst of the greens. Like it is the, you know, if some kind of dark forest green, I'm, and I'm harping on this more than I probably harp on any costume choice ever made, but 
it did not cease to make me laugh every time I saw it. Well, it's also a showcase for Technicolor right there. You know, I mean, especially the first season, but later seasons too. This is this is Desilu spending all the money in the history of ever to make something that would show off new color television sets. You got blue, those are the science guys. You got red. Okay, well, you're you, you what are you left with with colors that pop? So, I get how they got to green. I don't think you're wrong at all. Um and it's especially funny because or especially distracting because it's so clearly a mistake. Like, because later they just go, okay, if it photographs yellow, it's yellow. But they stuck with that green. It's that, uh, it's, it's his casual uniform too, and his, mm. and his dress uniform. Like, basically anything that wasn't the regular uniform is that stupid green. All right. The first thing that I wanted to point out that I noticed that, that, that jumped out at me, you know, cause I have general Star Trek knowledge, right? I, Sure. I, I know who these characters are. Um, but I discovered a thing that I did not know about one of the Star Trek characters in watching it. Uh, and it was, so, so Khan has been taken. He, you know, he, he was frozen on board his spaceship. He's kind of sickly. He's brought back onto the Enterprise and he's in sick bay and he's being treated by DeForest Kelly's Dr. McCoy by Bones. This is one of my favorite and, scenes in the series or in the, in the episode. So he wakes up, holds a knife to Bones' throat. And I realized for the first time that Bones is pretty ready to die. Like at any moment, he's he's kind of cool with it. Yeah, no, no. And um, you know, when you when you look at the the uh, the Carl Urban in the in the JJ Trek movies, uh, mm-hmm. he's locking onto that in a very specific way, where like because each of them have you know their own personality traits, all sort of built up from really basic archetypes. McCoy is definitely not just a little older or a little more or a little wiser or a little more haggard he's definitely a little more done he's <laughs> like like <sighs> McCoy it, and it, and and they play it well you know you get to have the fun with the Spock character too and you know and with Kirk okay. but when, when you take like two steps back I'm not sure why McCoy is still in Starfleet I'm not sure. Like, McCoy seems to be there because he has nothing else to do. Like, I don't get the feeling that, that, that there is some dream going undone there. He is just, eh, I'm waiting. And, <laughs> it's just, I would find that to be a very boring character, right? Like, that having that, I think, being over it. But since he fills it with this, with this near suicidal thing, like that, that actually jumps out at me as pretty interesting. No, and they sometimes play with the dynamic a little bit with, with, with he and Kirk specifically, because that's his commanding officer. But you also get the feeling that everybody kind of understands that McCoy has, is one of the few characters who has lived a life outside of the Enterprise. Like he's bringing experience Mm -hmm. to the team in a way that they aren't. And it's, it's kind of strange when they are so similar in age. Um, it's sometimes, tricky to figure out how old they want Kirk to be. You know, they they, they mm-hmm. sort of push him as young upstart, but he's also the captain of the flagship, so. From there, I, I think I think it's now time to talk about the big elephant in the room. Okay. Uh, which is <laughs> the, which I, I think I think you know what I'm about to say. But but just the weird sexual stuff going on in this in this episode. There's some weird 
weird sexual dynamics at play that I was not entirely expecting. So Khan wakes up and he meets a uh, lieutenant. Uh, she is a lieutenant and also a historian, uh, Marla McGivers. And or MacGyvers. MacGyvers, it's MacGyvers, unclear. I'm sorry. It's spelled McGivers. I don't know. No, 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 it's <laughs> unclear because at one point, Kirk maybe says her name wrong, and I'm not sure mm-hmm. if someone was screwing something up or if they were trying to say something. Or if they were trying to say he knows so little about this woman and cares so little about what this crewman is mm-hmm. doing that he wouldn't so, know who she so was. It could just be a bad take, or or it could be it could be an actual purposeful screenwriting thing, but who knows? Yeah, either way. This woman meets Khan, and out of the gate, before even there's any interactions between them. Oh no no! Before it, what, she's even before he's even awake, they do that mm-hmm. really soft kaleidoscope shot when when they're on the uh, the Botany Bay, the Khan's ship, and yeah. it zooms in on her like 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 she's Barbara Eden in I Dream of Jeannie. It's just like. <laughs> And honestly, with no context, if you hadn't seen the episode, it's a really weird shot because, or or maybe it's a really weird shot because you're seeing it in 2020, because there's no other indication in that moment that she's, should be smitten for this man or the idea of this man, but... It it, it feels like the show is throwing that, that immediate uncontrollable lust at her. Uh, and, and it, and it happens in the script too. Like the, one of the strangest things that occurred in this episode for me was when James T. Kirk just kind of pulls her aside and warns her about getting too horny. Like that, that is how I took that, that part of dialogue. He kind of like says like, Hey, I understand that you want to jump Khan's bones, but you have to look me in the eye and tell me how sexually attracted you are to this, to this ice man from the past. Right? And it's it's weirder he, than anything between she and Khan, because mm-hmm. at least that's I I guess overt. Incredibly overt. No, yes. and it's <laughs> and it's one of those things that permeates a lot of Star Trek. A lot of early Star Trek. Um but he's just given so much more punctuation here. Which is because they're trying to portray the Federation as progressive, but they're doing it with the values of people walking around in 1967, uh, every so often you end up with some really incompatible ideas. Like, is she a crewman who is there and respected by, I, I mean, we're, we're led to believe that Kirk's a good captain, right? Or at least not a bad one to, to treat an officer in his command like that. So condescendingly, frankly, um, Without the sexual stuff at all, is 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 that normal? Are we to understand that he would do that with a male ensign, or is this just a blind spot? I don't, but yeah, it's weird. It's I, I can't. Weird. I, I I think there's a reading of it. If you want to really give him credit, there's a reading of it where he's just dismissive of her because she is a historian and he thinks that's stupid. Like, yeah, you know, that, that, that maybe. That is the most polite reading. Yeah, that's the best. Um, re- th- no, and I hadn't even, yeah, that is the best read uh, because he does say in the beginning there's, uh, you know, oh, maybe that uh, that historian will finally be of some use. Like, mm-hmm. it's possible he does have contempt for having a historian aboard, but I'll tell you, as somebody who's seen every single episode of the original series, 
it doesn't come up that much. Like, mm-hmm. if that's a character trait, it's one they abandon pretty early. Kirk's not some some throwback military guy. He's usually pretty concerned with the science. Yeah, also, if you told me they never had a historian on any other episode ever again, I probably wouldn't be surprised about that. Oh, yeah, I'm pretty but, sure they don't. I mean, they <laughs> But, but the thing, as as a non-Star Trek guy, maybe you can give me some clarity on this one, because I had an image of James Kirk as the guy hooking up with green women in space, right? Like, that is, that's what I think about James Kirk and sexuality. And so to hear him suddenly try to, like, just clamp down on this woman for possibly being sexually attracted to Ricardo Montalban, which she has in no way verbally expressed at all to him. <laughs> uh, it, it, it felt it felt hypocritical in, in a weird way. And I didn't know if that was my misunderstanding of the character or not. No, you know, I'm, I, I'm willing to say that's probably a misunderstanding of the character. It's just, it's okay. also been material so retreaded that mm. they usually give him a love interest in the movies. And he's got a couple of things. Like, he does have that one, you know, the... the he has a, a scene with a I can't remember what species those are the green uh, the green people I want to say Gamorans yeah. and those that's not true that's Star Wars that's, that's, <laughs> that, that's also it's kind of like the MCU and yeah it's, it's all uh, yeah and Zoe Saldana yeah no no yeah. no it's, uh, I can't remember what they're called but you know like there's 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 some scenes he's a main character in a 1960s television sh- show. But I think someone added it up and like there are maybe like five romantic plots over the entire course of the series. Yeah, I think it, that just kind of got memefied like things do sometimes. Okay. Um, you know, okay. I, again, in the movie, well, actually, no, he's got a romantic subplot in Star Trek Four, and he sort of got one in Star Trek Two, but not really. Mm-hmm. Other than that, there's no romantic subplot. But you're right. It, it, it is sort of an interesting misreading of that character. Because he was always written as Horatio Hornblower in space. And especially early on, it's it's very, you know, regimented. It's about him being a captain. Mm-hmm. Full stop. You know, with a capital C. Right. And, and this in this one, even Spock makes a, a comment about him playing amateur psychologist, you know, psychiatrist. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, hey, that's even weirder that McCoy's in the fucking room. Like not mm. for nothing, but like <laughs> So 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 her her commanding officer and chief medical officer are there. He takes her aside to say, Hey, you're getting a little hot and bothered over that guy. I'm not gonna tell you not to, but you do have to look me in the eye and say that you are. Like that yeah. that's the weird part. That's like like if he had ordered her to stay away from him and not uh, like not fraternize with Khan, that'd be one thing. But it's a power play. It's a very strange power play. I mean, it also could just be sloppy writing where they're definitively reverse engineering it. Like they know what's going to happen. They know what they have to, what they have to do here. And they want to make it clear that Jim Kirk knew how to solve it without having to have any kind of conflict. But of course, Khan was unwilling to do that. This is a progressive person in the sixties idea of avoiding an HR disaster, like that Uh kind of thing. Yeah. All right. <laughs> but then you fast forwarded it and it is the HR disaster. Exactly. Okay. When you look at it through the lens of 2020, I mean, there's a lot of stuff. I mean, the, the there there is stuff that, that I, I, I don't necessarily think that lens is super useful for. And in this case, it is. 
Like where you're just like, uh oh, okay, yeah, this is supposed to be positive. It's a mess. <laughs> it's <laughs> all right. I, I think I think that's a good place to start actually talking about her relationship with Khan himself now, because that that then takes it a weirder notch once they're actually interacting. Oh uh, man, I did not remember how overtly abusive he is. And I don't mean to use that word easily. Like, oh my god, no, he's a monster. He's he's terrible to her from the very first second. It's it's almost sophisticated for 1967. This is what I'll say. It could be read as abuse. The other way it could be read, which is not good, by the way, this other way I'm about to present. Uh, the other way it could be read is that he is doing a weird domination and submission thing with her against her will like he is he is just inviting her to to a weird domination sexual game that that she has not requested also there and are I, no other women that interact with him throughout the uh throughout the mm-hmm. episode because yeah. i think part of it is also like well these women wouldn't have any defense for mm. for the, the the horrors of 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 old style earth men um, right, and, and that that was kind of that was kind of like the warning Kirk was giving, right? Like he's kind of like you know the unbridled sexuality of of the 1990s. It's gonna be unleashed upon you. Yeah, and, exactly. Uh, <laughs> and you're not going to be able to resist the baggy jeans, and it's just going to hit you like a ton of bricks. Yeah, I feel like he's giving her the uh, the 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 VD lecture that uh, <laughs> that you give right before you get into Port and Soul. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> now i i know this might be your first experience with superman um yeah uh, all right uh, yeah but so then everything that kirk is warned about turns out to be true right that is exactly the, uh, the, the unbridled sexuality of ricardo montalban cannot be stopped and just steamrolls over this poor woman well, and it's so much easier if that doesn't happen. If that doesn't happen, you can read it either contemporaneously or, you know, with the lens of history as, 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 as something a little bit different. But the fact of the matter is, that weird, condescending, paternalistic rant may be the moral of the story. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> that, that, that these men were just too manly, and yeah, yeah, for that and... reason, they had to be put away. <laughs> if the masculinity would overflow and conquer a nation. <laughs> well, and it's interesting because you'll 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 see Wrath of Khan at some point, and you'll see what he does I, with the character then. And I think I remember, even though I know they're different, I think I remember the Khan of this episode as the Khan of Wrath of Khan. And they mm-hmm. are very, very, very different portrayals of the same character by the same actor and sure there's supposed to be some time in between but what's most interesting is i think of khan in uh wrath of khan as a much darker portrayal yeah, yeah this no, no, is no, the no, darker no. portrayal exactly yeah no this is a much wait is darker this the darker portrayal. portrayal is this the darker portrayal or is it an equally dark portrayal i think it's a darker portrayal mm. um because it's so much more capricious the one thing you got in Wrath of Khan is that he is just a man out for revenge. His goals 
you can understand a little more about what's going on. But when you look at this guy, you're like, oh, no, that's an unapologetic monster. Like, he's mm-hmm. the worst. He's, 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 he's a more evil character uh, than he is 20 years later. It's, it's interesting because, like, the one thing that didn't entirely make sense to me was that I couldn't tell whether he was impressed with her or disgusted by her, and it always seemed to go back and forth. Like, one second he was telling her that, that you have to make a decisive choice, and, and then the next second after that, he would be, you know, steamrolling over her and making her beg for his attention and, uh, Again, you know, it's presence. just the same gross paternalism, that's all it is. Mm. He doesn't, whether he cares about her or doesn't, and later, <laughs> because I have hindsight, there's, there is a story, and so I can... Think of that character as his loving wife of many years. And so that's one story. But they're not going to write that for a decade and a half. In this moment, it does just kind of look insane. But It's like there are two different paths that I could understand, right? And one path is... This guy, the Superman, the intensity personified, right? He meets this woman and... She gives as good as she gets, right? And he looks at her as like, sure, wow, sure. Th- this is a superior woman. I, I am, I am blown away by her. And that doesn't happen. And the other story, which is kind of, you know, its way oddly prescient a little bit is, is, is a, is a 50 shades of gray thing, right? Or the movie secretary, right? Like a, a, a sure. dominant yeah, jerk yeah. finds his submissive. And and it works. But that doesn't make well, sense with, you, you know, know the character. There's almost a different reading there, though. There's almost mm. a different reading because, you know, those those movies are also not about, you know, the sexual domination of those people. Those are mm. about, you know, it, paternalism, actually. And, uh, you know, even when you throw it into some kind of, like, BDSM context or whatever. I, I think I think those are hard to, to separate on some level. Sure, sure, sure. Yeah. But here... They're presenting a woman who would even be, you know, sort of meek and submissive by modern standards. But at the time is supposed to be coded sort of the same way that you'd code the 80s career woman. She's a doctor. She's a historian. She has a job. And so she so, is she is the the power in, in, in a 60s context, is, your, is what you're saying here? Uh. Kind of, yeah. That that is that okay. is showing. Oh, look, look! All she needed was this kind of this kind of man to help her, and it's both sides. It's Kirk doing it on the one side, trying to keep her on the rails because women are silly, and mm-hmm. it is Khan on the other side because women are silly. Neither one of them is because of we're like about helpless. Her. Help, helpless, yeah, helpless is the, is the yes. thing that I think helpless. I think the show is going for. Uh, it really, it does, it removes female agency in a way I wasn't mm-hmm. even prepared for. That's really what it is. It's just, this Which woman is, odd is helpless. Because it, it's, it's odd because the whole turn of the plot is on this woman's agency and her decision to use it. So, yeah. and I, I don't know what that means in the context of everything else. It's so muddled. But, but yeah, so let's, let's move on. So Khan decides, you know, he, he, he dominates the historian. He decides he will have he will have the Enterprise, and his army of supermen will have a super starship, and they'll take over the future. Uh, sure. 
That's so, the whole plan. It's not a great plan. It's a terrible uh, plan. In retrospect, and we've been talking about Khan as some sort of massive tactician for 30 years. Mm-hmm. That is a terrible plan. That is the worst plan ever. That is that he he could just wait. It, yeah, there there is almost like once you've noticed that pothole, there's almost nothing to say about it anymore. Exactly. Uh, You're like, oh, oh, he could just wait. Oh, well, again, maybe we're saying he's uh, he, the the impertinence is is intentional. He, he is too he, he 1990s to stop. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah you, I mean, you remember the 90s. Every time you were aboard a starship, you just you just had to take I that took it over. Yeah, I took that thing over. <laughs> wiggity, 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 whack. <laughs> it was shoop, shoop, a doop. Then, then let's let's see it. So, so it all hinges on this moment here where Kirk is about to be let out the airlock or something like that. It's it, some some no, no. Actually, death. this was interesting too. He's mm. in. He's in the medical decompression chamber, which was interesting to me because I don't think they had thought of the trope, put him in the airlock yet. Oh. Because if they had thought of the trope, put him in the airlock, they would have put him in the airlock. But uh-huh. putting him in the, the pressure chamber, in the, the medical pressure chamber, I, that, yeah, I think, I think that's just, this is just pre, put him out the airlock as a trope. Oh, well, that's that's actually kind of charming. <laughs> yeah, you know? <laughs> well, right, I want him so, to suffer, and I want him to suffocate. Well, they're on a spaceship. All right. What's in the sick bay? <laughs> uh, you do have the vastness of space. I mean, it, it's easy to overlook the vastness of space. I There are whole episodes, <laughs> there are whole seasons where they don't spend much time there. It's easy to forget that it's not a hill. All right, so, so he's about to be medically crushed, I guess? It, I, I don't, yeah. okay. And she defies Khan and saves him, and then the the day is then saved because because you know Kirk has been reestablished and Khan has been thwarted. Well, um, and I will say this: the person yeah. that they have sort of try to throw herself in front of the bullet mm-hmm. is Ahura. So yes. I I'm not even kidding when I say there may have been a DC Fontana note in the room where she was like. Dude, we're saying a whole lot of bad stuff about about one of one of the female crewmates here. Can we make sure that Ahura gets in the mix and does some cool stuff? And it does all hinge on her making a decision for a reason. But I don't understand that reason. No, I don't. I don't know. There's no difference like... between between earlier in the episode and when she makes the decision. There have been no inciting factors. There's been no no conversation. She hasn't seen anything differently. She just sees that Kirk is in danger. And, right. you know... It's like, it's like she, she, she desires Montalban's strength, right? She desires Khan's strength and his authority. And, and yet, like, the thing that it's a bridge too far for her is, well, okay, I mean, I'll help you take over the ship, but I'm not going to let you hurt anyone. You know, like, it, it it almost doesn't make sense with her acceptance of the first thing. Well, honestly, it's almost more of the same thing with the, the deeply misogynist place it's being written from. It's, you know, she doesn't understand. She didn't understand what she was getting into with Khan, and she didn't understand what she was getting into with Kirk. It's... It's it's because again she she cannot be trusted. One last thing, that, and and you know it's it's weird tone 
aside and its sexual politics aside, which I think you kind of have to put aside in any 60s context that that references sexual politics. You put that oh, aside. Sure. It's, a- it's actually a pretty solid episode of television. There's one thing that I didn't understand. So let's just tie it to the, to the end is Khan is defeated. Kirk makes a decision for how he is to be punished. And it is a very strange decision for me. And I understand that the entirety of Wrath of Khan <laughs> based on this decision, but it doesn't make sense to me. So what he decides to do... No, it doesn't. Do, and honestly, yeah. I think that's part of how you get Wrath of Khan. Mm. Because it sticks out as a peculiar decision. It's not consistent with later characterizations of the character or the Federation or, you know, the crew of the Enterprise or anything. Mm-hmm. It's just this weird third decision. Uh-huh. Um, and... Yeah. So, so, so run it down. What does he decide to do? He decides to abandon them on SETI Alpha 5, which is a wild world that is uncultivated, so mm-hmm. that they can, I don't know, tame it themselves as supermen. And I guess revive his whole crew? Honestly, there's a lot of stuff that happened in there that I've been assuming happened that I didn't see this time at. Mm. And the ending glosses over a lot. But as I understand it, he gets to keep his 90 crew, they get to go to SETI Alpha 5, and he gets to tame it uh, with his new wife, or his new his new woman, mm-hmm. McGivers. Yeah, and, Mac- Mac- and McGivers, she comes too. McGivers MacGyver, she also decides because she is given the option of a court-martial or go with Khan, and she decides to go with Khan, which is kind of a win. That's how it's portrayed, I guess. Uh, I, okay, I think, yes, I think they're trying to, to, to make it a win. <laughs> they're, they're also trying to do something, and Star Trek will do this a couple of times. They are trying to say sort of like it's not their fault they were made this way, but... Which, which, which I kind of I, I understand with Khan... He has been genetically altered to be the most intense, smoldering sexual creature on this earth. But it, it's also kind of throwing it on MacGyver's a little. It's kind of throwing it on her. Yeah, well, you know, she also couldn't help. She, she, she also... Oh, sure. Was, it's definitely making you know. that, that claim. It's definitely saying, mm-hmm. you know, of course she couldn't resist his sexual magnetism or what, what he represented. It's an insane way to end the episode... <laughs> Uh, especially when you have later stuff. This is also a first season episode. So some of the rules haven't been established yet. It just gives me a lot of questions about the Federation as the writers were seeing it at that time. It's on one hand a utopia, right? A utopia where everybody has everything they need and we've gotten rid of war and all we're doing is exploring and sharing the great things we've discovered about the universe with the universe, right? So on the one hand, it's that. On the other hand, you find a ship of 80 guys and suddenly we should worry about the the fate of the Federation. Like that doesn't seem like a very structurally sound society if 80 supermen could just rip it apart with one ship you know and that's a really good story you know that's a that's a fun sci-fi concept to explore they do not explore that at all Mm -hmm. they they don't they don't even really again they don't really make it clear except for Khan and mcgivers what the consequences for any of the rest of these augmented people would be it's not like it's okay 
I have to free my people because you're going to take them and freeze them or take them and dissect them or take them and jail mm -hmm. them. It's just, I don't know. You don't like me. So I guess I gotta. And I just, I just don't understand what Kirk is so afraid of. Like, I don't understand why he thinks that these people are so dangerous that they have to be isolated on a planet by themselves where they'll never see other parts of the Federation until sure, they can, you know, find a way a to get themselves off of there. for the other people? Like, almost exclusively? <laughs> like, mm -hmm. those people are unconscious right now. You are taking it for Khan, who is not to be trusted's word, that, that they would prefer this as a lifestyle. They're still just frozen. Like, do they unfreeze them and then ask them individually how they feel about it? Because... You you would think a just society would do that. Again, it is a utopia, right? You'd figure. No, it's a very weird choice. But again, I think it's, ironically, a choice <laughs> that really does bear some fruit later because it sticks in your brain. I'm pretty sure that's why someone did it. Because otherwise, I don't think you'd have a sequel to any of the episodes or even a reference most of the time. It's just like someone sat down and went, hey, what the hell happened to Khan? <laughs> Yeah, and it feels like on some level that this episode they started with the idea of space seed and that and the, those final lines that Spock says, you know, like sure. a, a, well, if we come back in a hundred years and see what seeds you've planted on this on this you know wild planet, and then they worked backwards to create that idea. That's what, I what think it feels that is like. Almost certainly, what they did. Uh, okay, like right. a lot well, of stuff. Go. In, right. you know, in 60s sci-fi, uh, it's all kind of built on the Rod Serling model. You know, you get your twist, and then you work your way back. So, at, I don't want to dig into this too much, but it should be mentioned that it's pretty weird having a Mexican gentleman kind of wear darker makeup and call him an Indian American, right? Yeah, That's you know, I, w I hadn't even really given that much thought. And I think the remasters make it worse. Yeah, because it's, it's clear something... that there's makeup there, right? There, exactly. It's clear he, I there's think, darkening. Yeah, I think with I think when it was shot for you know for television, I think you wouldn't have even noticed that necessarily. You'd have just gone, oh, they darkened him up a little bit, or you know, like yeah, it does feel a little brown facey though, right? I hesitate to to make these calls. It just it, it just stuck out of me. But but it stuck out of me in a way that I think is something that you were mentioning before. Is this is a '60s version of progressiveness, right? Is is deciding like, oh, you know what? Let's let's have the inclusivity of an Indian character. All right, so let's we're gonna find someone from India. No, oh no, <laughs> we're in California. How would they even find the studio? <laughs> You know what we have a lot of in California is Mexican actors, and so... <laughs> right, and there's a lot of that. I don't think that's even remotely unfair to look for that. Uh, also, if it didn't get mentioned, it would be weird. Uh, it's also, right. honestly, it's like that Chang thing that we were talking about uh, the other day, where the character in Chang, of Chang in Community is in mm -hmm. Orc Face. It's, oh yeah, uh. you'll notice it. Also, anything less than this isn't Blackface. And that's sort of where I... Like, ooh, it's right on the border. I, yeah, I don't. I understand it, your concern. Mm-hmm. And I, I just don't feel comfortable making those calls. Anything else that jumped out at you? Again, it, it's it's hard not to ask the questions just about Star Trek in general. How'd you like the episode, Ben? 
it was a thing that happened. Uh, I I was not bored. I could see how you could make a movie off the consequences of what happened in this episode. And I also understand that that's the main reason you wanted me to watch it. Um, Right. It creates a great setup and it creates some great continuity, but it is itself maybe not the best episode. And the things that were fascinating about it, I think you could tell by the stuff we talked about, were entirely the unintentional stuff. Was looking at a society accidentally letting its mores sneak in a little bit and not realizing it. That that was interesting to me. Uh, yeah, but, yeah. <laughs> but, but that was much more interesting than the plot, if that makes sense. Yeah, no, Space Seed, it, it isn't great television. It's good television, it's fun, and, you know, come on, Ricardo Montalban is great. I don't even know what he's <laughs> yeah, sure. doing there. He's just making sure. choices. <laughs> he was making big broad choices for no reason but yeah it, it it i mostly wanted you to see it so that you can later watch wrath of khan but also really because it's nice to have a middle of the road episode there are other episodes i really like but it's because there's something special about them and you know usually from a writing standpoint uh not because they're star trek space seed might be my favorite episode of star trek because it's star trek Mm-hmm. Um, because I don't think if it wasn't Star Trek, I would watch it. Right? Like, I, I, I understand that there is this importance that, well, not me, but other people, and I think yourself, like, give to Star Trek as a core foundational science fiction experience for themselves. It is in uh, many ways the aura text of science fiction. Right. And when I watch this, I can both see the the little green shoots that one day grow into that, and I can also say to myself, this is absurd. Yeah, and, yeah. you know, I mean, it's, it's rough because of the time. Uh, watching comic book movies today is somewhat similar. And that, sure, they're still adolescent fantasies. I mean, they're both still adolescent fantasies. But mm-hmm. in the 1960s, what's sort of revolutionary about this is it is a science fiction show that an adult could watch. Like, it is an attempt at dragging science fiction into, at very least, the place of melodrama. And so, yeah, it's hard not to give it credit. Also, eh, some of it's real dumb. Some of mm-hmm. it's real, real dumb. But yeah, I'm, I'm kind of happy. I'm kind of... I am happy we use Space Seed for this, though, in retrospect. I was, I was hmm. not sure. But, I mean, I'm interested I- in... How you see it as somebody who doesn't like who who has no Star Trek background, <laughs> mm-hmm. and, and I see it as an interesting curiosity, but not in itself something that I could take joy in for for any other reason other than that. That that's pretty much where I am with it. And honestly, without nostalgia, I think I'd be in the same place. And mm-hmm. there's other stuff, especially '60s TV stuff that. I don't feel that way about. And again, that's what makes Star Trek kind of interesting. That's why I wanted you to see it because it's something that I like, but I'm not necessarily sure is good. Uh, <laughs> I, I, I feel, I feel okay voting on this one. I don't think Space Seed is good. I uh, also do not think Space Seed okay. is good. <laughs> okay. <laughs> On second thought, you've decided not to endorse your park either. All right. Yeah, no, I have. I have, I have. <laughs> okay. 
Next time, let's talk about, about Columbo. Let's talk about something that can bring genuine joy into the hearts of all, in my opinion. Got any plugs? I would, I would like, I would like to plug the U.S. Postal Service and, uh, have it continue to exist. That'd be nice. I would like the U.S. Postal Service to exist as well. That, um, freedom hmm. and democracy are okay. Goodwill toward your fellow man? If there's any to be had, I would like some, yes. I mean, I know it's in short supply, but I still, uh, you know, there's there's a reason it's so popular. Uh, From two of the bungles to all our botch friends out there, we love you. Goodbye, internet. Yeah, I think it's an okay ending. We can find some. Yeah, we'll tinker with it.